Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And all fear is gone. We pray that you would set our hearts on fire with the hope that is ours. Through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back when I first felt that God was calling me to ordained ministry, there were a few big objections that I raised straight away. For a start, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to work in a newspaper and I was holding out for my first big break. I was just waiting for the Belfast Telegraph to ring and say, Gary, we need you. Well, as you can see, uh, God had his plans and my plans were overruled. And God made it clear that I should be ordained. But one of the other objections I had at that time was, and the one that stands out the clearest was this. I don't want to be a minister because I would have to take funerals and I wouldn't know what to say and I wouldn't quite know how it would all go. So with that fear in mind, fast forward a few years until I had come through at Minister Factory and it was my first week as a curate in Dundonald. The rector had just sat down on the plane to go for his summer holidays and my phone rang. Someone had died. My first funeral was going to be a solo funeral. A week after ordination. Not a clue what to do. There's something about death and bereavement that that affects us deeply. When it's someone close to us, there's the pain of separation. The absence of the person from the chair or around the kitchen table. Perhaps there's the regret of things said or left unsaid. And for, for everyone else around, family and friends and all the rest, there can be that feeling of helplessness. Have you ever had that sense of helplessness? You, you want to do something. You want to help. You want to comfort. You want to say something. But what can you say? Everything sounds so meaningless, so empty. How do we cope? Is there something that we can say? God in his grace has given us his word. And his word deals with every part of our life. 
And in our reading this morning, Paul speaks to us about those who are asleep, those who have fallen asleep. Now he's not talking about the people who doze off during the sermon when he talks about people who are asleep. He's speaking about Christians who have died. And the problem he's facing is this. Here's the problem that was exercising the minds of the Thessalonians. Have the dead missed out on eternal life? Do you have to be living when Jesus returns to enter eternal life? Have the dead missed out? And to understand why that was an issue, we need to remember the timeline. You see, Paul had visited the city of Thessalonica. He had shared the gospel there for three weeks. And then he moved on. He was run out of town. And throughout the letter he reminds them of things that he had already told them. So the last time we were in Thessalonians he didn't need to remind them about the love that they needed to have for each other. But he reminded them of it. You already know, he says. And he had said when he was there that Jesus is coming to take us to be with him. In the time since Paul left Thessalonica, that's hard to say, Paul has been to Berea and Athens and now in Corinth. And in that short time frame, some of the people who became Christians have died. And the church was mourning their passing. But it was doubly sad. You see, not only had their brothers and sisters died, that was bad enough. But then to think that they might have missed out on Christ's return and everything that lies after that. The thought of that was even worse. Had the dead missed out on eternal life? So what's the answer? Well, Paul's answer is hope-filled grieving. Hopefully you have the passage in front of you. Uh, Perhaps you'd turn back to it so that you can follow uh, what I'm saying. Look at how verse 13 opens up. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Notice that Paul doesn't say, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve. Full stop. He's not saying that Christians shouldn't grieve. It's right and it's proper that we mourn the loss of loved ones, both in our family and in our church family. It's only natural that we feel sad, that we miss them. But what Paul is saying is that Christians will grieve in a different way to other people. He says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Perhaps you've been 
at a funeral where there is no hope. I remember being at one at Roselawn. And it was a wonderful celebration of the lady who had died. There were lots of thoughts of uh, all the achievements that that she had done and her working life and her family and all the rest. But that was it. The coffin went down below. And that was it. No hope. Nothing beyond. Nothing to look forward to. Christians should grieve, but not like that. You see, our grieving is to be hope-filled. Now, whenever you hear those words, hope-filled, or as we would tend to say, hopeful, you might think of lots of situations where you're hopeful about something, but it's just wishful thinking. For example, we have a a friend with us this weekend and on Friday night we were hopeful that there would be nice weather to show off the beauty of Fermanagh. And it, well, it wasn't spectacular yesterday, was it? It didn't seem very likely. It was just wishful thinking that maybe the sun would shine for an hour or two. Is Paul saying that we're to ignore reality and just hope for the best? However improbable. Is that what Paul is urging the the Christians to do? But no, Paul says that hope-filled grieving is possible because it's based on Jesus' work and Jesus' word. First up then, Jesus' work. Look at uh, the start of verse 14. Do you see how the four connects verses 13 to 14. So he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We've already declared today in the Apostles' Creed that we believe That Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus was raised on the third day. If this is what happened to Jesus, then it will also happen to those who are his. You see, if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then he can do it for everyone else as well. Where Jesus goes, we go as well so on Saturday morning members of Snatch will get on a bus wherever the driver takes us we'll end up now hopefully it's not going to be some kind of mystery tour and that he's going to drive straight to Glenarm Castle for summer madness but that's up to the driver You see, it's wherever he goes, we go as well. We're with him. We're connected to him. Jesus' work gives us hope-filled grieving. But Jesus' word also gives us hope-filled.
filled grieving. We see that in verses 15 to 17. You see the word from the Lord says that we aren't at an advantage over the dead. That we aren't going to be at the front of the queue and have them straggling along behind. There's an order, a plan, a promise of what is coming. At the the moment of the Lord's return. It's like stage directions if you've ever been part of a play. This is what's going to happen. There'll be a cry of command. There'll be the voice of an archangel. There'll be the sound of the trumpet of God. And those three things announce Christ's coming. At that moment, Paul says, the dead in Christ will rise first. You see how they're described there, the dead in Christ. Those who are in him. In the same way that the Thessalonians are described at the very start of the letter. Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the dead who are in Christ are in him and are raised first. They're not going to miss out. They're not going to be lagging behind from this joyful reunion of verse 17. Paul says then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The Lord is coming down and the dead in Christ and we who are alive are are going up and we meet together. What a great promise this is. To be with the Lord forever. You see, whenever you go to visit relatives... There comes a time when you have to leave. Or whenever you go to a posh hotel for a week on holiday, you're always conscious that this is our last night. Let's have a really good dinner tonight because this is our last night. Have to go to the airport tomorrow. Have to go home. And then you spend the whole last day going, have to go home. Have to go home. You know that the holidays don't last. And even uh, if you went to stay with your granny for the whole summer of your summer holidays. You had two months with them wherever they might have lived. There still comes that day when you have to go home. And go back to school. But this promise. It's forever. Always with the Lord. Always with his people. You see the dead aren't going to miss out. They and us will be gathered with him. This is how we can have hope filled grieving. It's based on Jesus' work. His own dying and being raised. And it's based on Jesus' word. His promise 
that all his people will be with him forever. Paul could have ended right there. It's all that we really need to know. But the last verse is the application. The last verse is what drives it home. Here's the takeaway. Here's the action. Here's what we need to do based on what we've learned today. Here's how we can comfort in times of grief. Here's why I found that I was able to do funerals. Verse 18. Therefore, because of all that Paul has already said in this section, therefore, encourage one another with these words. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, the darkness can overwhelm. But with these words, with this promise, we can bring encouragement to one another. A simple reminder of the hope that is ours. A pointer forward to the joyful reunion. The sharing of that promise that we will be with the Lord forever. These aren't empty words. Something just to say something. These are words that strengthen and encourage those who are mourning. Those who feel at the pain of loss, whether it was recent or whether it was a long time ago. But this isn't just for those who mourn. You see, there's encouragement for each one of us as well as we face our own mortality. You see, if the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime, then we too can be assured that we will be raised to meet him in the air. We're going to sing about that promise in a moment. This promise, this encouragement is for you if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in him. And if you're not, then why not come today? Believe in him and receive this great promise of hope which is for all who trust in Christ. A future assured. A hope that goes beyond this life. Which gives us courage for each day. Hope filled grieving. Based on Jesus' work and Jesus' word. Brings us encouragement. 
May this be a word of grace and comfort, not just for us who are here today, but for all those that we come in contact with this week. Because you don't need a minister to say these words. Paul says, Therefore encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning conscious of the pain that may be in our hearts. Father, we pray that you would minister your grace and your comfort to us. We pray that you would stir that hope which comes through Jesus' work and Jesus' word. Father, help us to encourage and support one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.